What's up, everyone? I'm Chris from Weekly Games Chat. Along with my co-hosts, Sean and John, we cover the latest video games every Wednesday for your listening pleasure. We also make sure to rant about the latest movies, TV shows, and happenings in the sports world. If you like the show, catch one of our live streams on Twitch, follow us on Twitter, or even take the biggest jump of all and join our community on Discord. All found by simply searching Weekly Games Chat. Until then, I'll simply say game on in your mom's box. This show is part of the RetroZap.com podcast network. What's up, Argonauts, and welcome to another episode of Rcast Mini. So this is a uh, special episode here where we're going to be speaking with Luke Owen, who is the author of Lights, Camera, Game Over. And, of course, I'm here with my good buddy and co-host, Robert Workman. And at some point, I guarantee he's going to quote Walt Julia's Game Over at some point, <laughs> just as David has to, you know. But, Absolutely. Um, anyway, yeah, we, 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 I actually talked with Luke a little while back. I did an interview over there at comicbook.com slash gaming, and we talked about his book, Lights, Camera, Game Over. I talked about a bunch of different motivations. So we're going to talk about a few of those subjects tonight, and we're also going to bring up uh, another one that I didn't bring up during the interview. We're going to talk a little bit about Uwe Bowl because... How can we not talk about Uwe Boll, <laughs> the wonderfully awful House of the Dead cut? Um, but, of course, uh, Luke, thank you for coming on and talking to us, man. Uh, we appreciate you taking time to stop by and, and chat with us about your book. Uh, we appreciate you stopping by. No, you're very welcome. I'm really happy to be here. Now, um, I guess the first thing off the bat, I kind of asked this with my uh, text interview, but I'll ask it here, too. What inspired you to put this v- book together in the first place? I-, I know I suggested it was a late night viewing of Super Mario Brothers, the movie. And you're like, oh, you know what would be great if I wrote a book? <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It's really not far off that. <laughs> it really was. Like, I found Mario Brothers to just be this fascinating movie. Like I've always, I've always called it a fascinating disaster. And then how can some like grown people look at the Super Mario Brothers game and then just look at the movie and be like, yep, I think we can make this work. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I kind of just got really interested in like the, the making of it. And um, I, I read a book uh, by David Hughes called The Great Sci-Fi Movies Never Made. And I really liked the way that that book was written. And it kind of made me think, like, oh, I wish there was a book like this for video game movies. And then I searched on Amazon and it turns out that book didn't exist. Um, and then I was reading uh, Blake J. Harris's Console Wars, which is a brilliant book that details. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. Such a great book. And uh, there's a, you, obviously you've read the book there. There's that bit in there talking about the Mario Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my girlfriend, um, who's now my wife, and I said, like, oh, this reminds me of that book that I was thinking of writing a few years ago. Oh, shame that book never got written. And she just said to me, like, well, why don't you do it? And I was like, oh, yeah, I suppose I could do it then. Um <laughs> And it just sort of like snowballed from there, really. I, I kind of reached out to some of the people behind Mario Brothers. Uh, the chaps over at smbmovie.com were like really great in like helping me get together all of the, the the scripts that had been written pre the movie getting made. 
Uh, and then from that, I, I contacted the publisher. They wanted me to write some more stuff for them. So I contacted Stephen D'Souza about the Street Fighter, uh, to do a Street Fighter chapter. And then that, and it just from there, it just became like a, wow, I think this could be really great. Like there's just some really interesting stories behind the makings of these sometimes okay movies, but sometimes not very good movies. Yeah. It almost seems like Hollywood had a, a certain disconnection when it came to like adapting the content from a video game to say like a two something hour movie and everything like that. And sometimes it just gets lost completely like with Super Mario Brothers or Street Fighter where E Honda suddenly becomes a camera operator or something. I don't know. It's There's Hawaiian it's, also it's, in that movie. Yeah, so. Hawaiian. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, Zangief, yeah. who's this mighty bear wrestler, is a dunderhead. Okay, sure. You got paid. <laughs> <laughs> he does okay. have the best line in the movie, though. <laughs> Twig, yeah. change the channel. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, who wants to go home? And who wants to go with me was the best line, but that's just me. <laughs> or but, one of the many Raul Ra- Ra- Julia lines, especially the, uh, for, you know, for me, it was Tuesday speech. You know, oh, the, that, that's obviously a great right? one. So. To me, it was Tuesday. But it's just kind of interesting. Like over the years, we've seen very few video game films that nail their content. I mean, you and I talked about this, Luke, about how Mortal Kombat, the first one, not Annihilation, the first one, really nailed down what the content was about with the game and made it entertaining on the big screen. And I'm sure you had a great talk with Anderson about that too. I'm sure. Oh yeah, like me and Paul Anderson, like we had several like big long conversations because he was a huge help in getting this book over the line. Really. Like, Talking to him about Mortal Kombat and, and all six Resident Evil movies, we, he was actually making uh, the sixth one while I was writing the book. So it was there was a bit touch and go whether or not I was going to get that chapter finished. Because we talked about the first three, and then he was like, oh, I'm going off to South Africa now to finish the sixth movie. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll speak to you in a few months. And then like a year later, he was like, yeah, maybe we can get those interviews done now because my deadline <laughs> is fast approaching. Um, but it's it's funny you mentioned like how like Mortal Kombat kind of like really nailed the tone and kind of got things right. And as I said to you in, in our, our text interview, it's because uh, Larry Kasanoff, the producer, was working with Midway like from the inception of the game. So they presented the game to him. He was like, this is great. We can make a movie out of this. And then they kind of like, the, they worked the game and the movie at the same time. Whereas Street Fighter, it was a case of that Capcom just wanted a movie with the Street Fighter name and Hollywood were just like, hey, let's just make a movie. And Steven D'Souza uh, told me that his original pitch was they were only going to have seven of the core Street Fighter characters. And that was it. And that was the script he submitted. And that's what Capcom agreed to. But every time he submitted a new draft, Capcom would say like, oh, hey, can this character be here? Like be this character from the game? And he's like, uh, yeah, I guess. And that's why you end up with E. Honda being a Hawaiian cameraman. And why you end up. And that's why the whole film just feels like, Okay, I mean, I know what these. I get the character names, but they're not the characters that I recognize. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I was kind of curious, I guess, like with how uh, how Capcom, I guess, just agreed to some of these changes, like with the characters, like you know, not only with uh, with E Honda being uh, being Hawaiian in the movie, uh, but also like with um, with having uh, Charlie Nash and Blanca as the same character in the movie too, yeah. which is just bizarre to me. I, yeah. I, I don't. I don't think Capcom cared. Like the, the the interesting thing, and this was like I didn't know about this until I started doing the book. And all of a sudden, when I started talking to D'Souza, everything made sense. Capcom weren't interested in pushing the Street Fighter game. They were interested in pushing the Street Fighter toy line that they had with uh, the GI Joe. Joe. Yeah, I had those. <laughs> so yeah, they, exactly. So that's all they were interested in was just like as long as it looks like the GI Joe characters, that's all we care about. So it doesn't matter if uh, if E Honda is a Hawaiian cameraman; he looks like the action figure. We're good to go. Because right. then they had the the, the, the cartoon spinoff as well. So like it, it uh, all yeah. worked for Capcom in the end, I guess. 
Was, yeah, but what, I mean, they might have learned from that, though. You're not going to see like a Monster Hunter World movie with Rob Schneider in it. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's hunt monsters. Um, was 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 there any talk also like when you, when you were speaking with Steven uh, D'Souza about the whole, um, I guess, like affair, basically, if you will, like between Jean-Claude Van Damme and Kylie Minogue? Because I remember that that whole thing kind of blew up sometime <laughs> later. Yeah, I mean, there was two things that were really sort of like it was Van Damme's uh, affair with Minogue, but also his affair with um, with Angel Dust, essentially. Which is, uh, oh, I, think, I don't think uh, I yeah. heard about that one actually. Yeah, well, I think uh, it's, it's on a number of occasions. The <laughs> Caesar's like infamous line is just like every morning he would wake up and ask if Raoul Julia was on his meds and if Jean Claude was off his. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the oh, way man. they could start off all that, the way they could start off their production yeah. day. Now it's kind of interesting though, like even with a company, whether they go hands on with the property or not, it still doesn't entirely dictate the tone of a film. And I'll bring up in this case, Assassin's Creed. Ubisoft was all over this film in terms of they wanted the tone right and everything like that, and they were heavily involved with it, and yet the film still didn't quite mesh on the level that a lot of fans were looking for. So sometimes it could be something else that may be involved with it in the mix, do you think? Yeah, I think it is. I think sometimes, like, the when you take an Assassin's Creed game, for example, which has got, you know, multiple games worth of story and multiple hours worth of story, mm-hmm. to try and then condense that into a two-hour format that can not only just appeal to fans of the game, but also appeal to a mass market who's never played the game. Like, all of a sudden, like, that, that, uh, that really, it, it becomes almost too much. Duncan Jones had the same issue with Warcraft. Mm-hmm. The Warcraft movie spends so much time being like, here is the world. We're we're setting up this world. Here's how this works. Here's how that works. And then by the end of it, you're like, okay, cool. What's the story then? Right. And then, and then, <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what and Duncan Jones, uh, I, I went to a Q and A uh, that he did uh, here in London to for to screen Warcraft. Essentially, he set this Q and A up in a matter of 24 hours with uh, one of our local cinemas. But essentially, just like I need to talk about this film in a public setting. And um, he essentially said that this movie is all set up because it was just meant to be the first of a trilogy. And then the next two films can be all story and all character driven. But he had to make this first story driven movie. I wonder if Assassin's Creed had the similar thing. Like, here's the first movie. We're going to set up this world. When we come to movie two and three, we can just go in and we can drive forward. But if you just do movie one and no one really likes it, then you're just stuck with movie one, yeah. which is then and it doesn't really work. It's sort of like uh, what Universal did when they were trying to build the dark universe with the mummy film last year. And the exactly. mummy film was horrid. So let's not go there. But I, I can't help but think like certain decisions also made an impact. Look at Assassin's Creed turning the animus into a virtual reality ride or some shit like that. Or, you know. <laughs> Warcraft and how it was cast and more importantly like some of the visual effects astounding you know some of the orcs looked amazing then you see the female orc character uh, that chick from Mission Impossible and you look at her and like did effects budget run out or something? I'm just yeah. Wondering, you know. <laughs> well, a, a, another uh, like another movie though that like really kind of took some liberties with the uh, with like the franchise actually was the Super Mario Brothers like, like movie as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, like, uh, like I know like like one particular story that I just remember hearing like you know as far as like behind the scenes stuff is like how Bob Hoskins basically just had to get himself a. Uh, I guess like to kind of borrow a line from our friend Tim Kitzrow, smash hammered drunk, um, like <laughs> while on set in order to kind of get through the day more or less. Uh, I was I was kind of curious on like what other insights you kind of heard. I guess like behind the scenes for that particular movie there. Didn't the directors get kicked off the set? <laughs> well, that is a really interesting because I I'd heard that story as well. But when I spoke to because I, I I spoke to both Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jankel, the 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 co-directors, and they both. Uh, 
they are very adamant that they were never kicked off sets that it wasn't finished off by the producer it wasn't finished off by the production designer which is you know all this big hoo-ha they were going to be locked out of the editing room um, but they essentially that it's 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 illegal within the DGA laws. So they had to appeal to the DGA. They got it overturned, and they were allowed to go in and, and edit the movie. Um, so, but there were like Disney were very much. It, it's it's so funny with the Mario Brothers movie. So the 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 basic gist is that Annabelle Jenkel and Rocky Morton had this script that they really liked, and all of the actors really liked, and that was the movie everyone signed up for. And then the weekend before uh, production was about to start, Disney got cold feet. They brought in a new writer to rewrite the whole script and and didn't allow um, Morton and Jenkel to have any uh, say in the script because they felt that they were a bad influence. So, um, And it was Ed Solomon who wrote the Bill and Ted movies. And so he wrote this script that was much jokier and it was much more jovial. And essentially the the directors had to sit there and say to the cast, hey, so this is the new script we're doing. Like (laughs) all those storyboards that I've got, they're useless, but this is the new script that we're doing. And they had to pretend that it was good. And none of the actors liked the script. The directors didn't like the script. And like Rocky Morton tells a story that the script didn't even make sense. He would start shooting a scene and then the continuity girl would come in and say like, oh, but by the way, we've got this on page 38, which means that this here doesn't make any sense anymore. And he was like, oh yeah, you're absolutely right. So they had to bring in, uh, bring back in writers to, to rewrite the script on set. Um, yeah, and, oh, wow. I think, and I think that's when, I think it was Dennis Hopper, the, the LA Times did like an on-set interview and Dennis Hopper said like, I don't even read the script anymore. Because it's, <laughs> by the time I've learned the lines, it's going to change. So what's the mm. point of me, like, like even learning it? I'll, I'll learn it when I get to the actual, like, on set, and they can tell me what I'm meant to say. So that film was, like, it's it's a miracle that film got made. Like, it, like really, like, no matter how it came out, it's astounding that film actually got finished. You know, <laughs> it, it kind of amazes me. Like, with some of these stories, it's amazing how some of them even get budgets. Like, bringing up Uwe Boll. I can't imagine who thought it'd be a good idea to have him make like Blood Rain or In the Name of the King or, you know, it's a Dungeon Seeds movie with Jason Statham. Okay. Well, I know, like, like, I know, like, the story with, um, with Uwe Boll, though, is that he, he would basically do, uh, do them as, like, tax write offs. And, um, uh, like, I, I forget, like, uh, like, which country he's from exactly? It's like, German. Is it Germany? It, it, yeah. They're all German tax write offs. So he just, he, he self funds them, essentially. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, it just amazes me that he's able to put it together movies the way he does. And, you know, even then, it'd be like, how did these get made? Just wonder. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. So, the um, producer of, and I'm going to forget which film this is now, but I spoke to the producer of, as Dead or Alive. Um, and he was also a producer on the first House of the Dead movie with Uwe with Boll. And they had these big grand plans for it. And then Boll came in and was just like, nope, this is what I'm doing. And he made the film that he did. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, the guy uh, I spoke to said, like, yeah, and essentially we then made House of the Dead 2 as an apology for the first <laughs> House of the Dead movie. Mm-hmm. And it had a budget that was essentially the craft budget for the first film. And it was a much better film in the end. <laughs> this, I believe. But it, it just, like I said, it amazes me like how some of these directors, they prefer to follow their own vision instead of working something more towards what like gamers wanted and everything like that. But you've talked to a number of different directors. You also talked to um, Simon West, who helmed the Lara Croft Tomb Raider movie. And uh, I'm sure you got some insight from him in terms of like what he had to follow to bring Angelina Jolie to life as Lara Croft and everything and, and put together his film, too. 
Yeah, and Angelina Jolie was a, he kind of had her picked out from the get go. Oh yeah, he was he was like the second director to come when it was originally Stephen Herrick uh, who left to go and do. Do you remember Rockstar, the film with Mark Wahlberg and Jennifer? Oh yeah, Anderson? yeah. yeah don't Stephen me. Herrick left Tomb Raider to go and do that movie. Um, and so when Simon West came in, he was essentially brought in by Paramount because Paramount were like, we have spent so much money on this film already and we haven't filmed anything. Can you come in and save this project? So he kind of kind of sees himself as a savior, even when you speak to him. Like, and he was a really nice guy. Um, but Angelina Jolie, he kind of picked out because he wanted to pick Hollywood's bad girl to play this role. He wanted to like just go as really as counter- counterculture as possible, try and make it as un-British as he possibly could. That was his worry. As a, a British guy making a movie about a, a, a British character, he didn't want it to be red phone boxes and uh, you know butlers and, and this right. kind of like bobbies this, and all this, that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So he wanted to try and make it as un-British as possible. Um, hence his you know casting Evangeline and Jolie. But he had to really fight to to get her because they they wanted anyone but Angelina Jolie. They wanted like <laughs> Liz Hurley. I think Demi Moore was in the running at one point. They wanted someone who was just a much a much classier figure. Um, right. I mean, if Demi Moore can be classified as a classier figure, they wanted a, a, a classy person in this role and a name value as well, um, which Angelina Jolie was sort of was at that time, but it's much more of an underground thing. You know, it's kind of interesting how that would reflect to the to the filmmaking process of the new Tomb Raider movie, which is releasing next month and has Alicia Vikander. I'd like to just see like a comparison between the two and see what Hollywood's standards are in terms of getting this new movie made and how close they get to tone of, say, like the 2013 game. Mm, I'm so excited for it, like mainly because I say. Uh, my wife and I went to go see Black Panther uh, the other day, which was terrific. Mm, you know, great, absolutely great terrific. Yep. So good. And they played the trailer for the new Tomb Raider movie before it. And like, I, I think the trailer is pretty good. I know I'm, I'm excited for the movie. My wife is so excited to see that movie. She's <laughs> like, I've not been this excited for a film in some time. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm, I really hope it can live up to her expectations, but, um, I'm, I'm really excited to see what they can do with it because the first, the first two Tomb Raider movies were very much of its time. It was that very early 2000s style of doing an action movie. Yeah. Like versus what we're going to be like now where the times have drastically changed. And, you know, I don't think they're going to put Alicia Vikander in a padded bra like they did for Angelina Jolie <laughs> and, right. you know, put those front and center. So it'll be, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what they do this time around. You know, sure. and another film I want to bring up, Rampage. This is starting to look like it's come together pretty nicely, too, in terms of like a stupid monster movie with The Rock in it. That's, when, I would, when I say stupid, I mean like stupid, enjoyable, like yeah. stupid, like whatever Godzilla was in 1998. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Absolutely. And that, that, that's a really interesting one as well, because that's been a, uh, a film that's been in production for quite some time like, with different writers coming on board and different directors coming on and leaving and going and toing and froing. And it's the sort of film, as you just quite brilliantly pointed out there, it's like it's a monster movie. Like you just just make a monster movie. Um, it's kind of like the, the story of the uh, Freddy versus Jason. You know, they went through 14 years and however many writers and however many dollars until one producer was just like, guys, this is just like, let's take Freddy, let's take Jason and have them fight. Like, this yeah. is the easiest film to write. Why are we spending so much time? It's with like this? a wrestling movie in some ways, also. <laughs> yeah, with weta effects. There you go. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so it feels like that with Rampage. It was just the, like, the you know, the rock came in and was like, well, this is a monster movie. Let's just make a giant monster movie and have us be the people that have to stop these monsters destroying a city. That yeah. works. And well, I know it's the um, it's, 
Yeah, like I, like I know it's like the same um, the same duo actually, like with like The Rock and whoever like the director was who did um, oh. yeah, the San Andreas, the San Andreas yeah, movie. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, uh, I'll say like one one thing I want to kind of bring up and just because I, I saw like as uh, you know when, like when kind of flipping through like the uh, the little kind of like preview sample of your book, basically, uh, like I saw Halo was on there, and that instantly kind of brought to mind the fact that Neil Blomkamp was actually thinking about making a Halo movie at some point. Was that covered also in your book? Yeah, that is. Yeah, there's a whole chapter on the the the, the failed production of that halo movie and because i that is one of like the great unmade uh video game movies mm-hmm. because that was the first because that was microsoft were the first you know studio to be like hey we're going to control this film and the story of how they actually delivered out their script and the way that they negotiated the deal for halo was it's it's incredible but it was also the downfall of the movie. Like it was, it was dead in the water before it even began. Essentially, they, they paid Alex Garland to write this script. He wrote the script that Microsoft approved, and then Microsoft sent out couriers dressed as Master Chief to all of the major studios at the same time, told them to get all of their decision makers in one room, and essentially said, "You've got one hour. Read the script. Make us an offer. If you don't call us in an hour, then the deal's off the table." Wow. <laughs> and then, and that was it. And in the end, it was so um, Universal and 20th Century Fox made a joint deal um, to, to to make this movie. And then that was where it all fell apart because Universal, like Universal, didn't want to pay too much. Fox didn't want to pay too much. Microsoft was sitting pretty. It was a win win for them, but it was a lose lose for everyone else. And then it was, and it's funny as well because Neil Blomkamp said in an interview, "I will never work with Fox again." And then a couple of years later, went on to do it was going to do Alien Five with them, and look what happened to that. <laughs> that yeah, is true. Well, yeah, wow. like you know, that sounds ones. like that sounds like a really complex thing compared to say like Gore Verbinski being attached to a Bioshock project. I remember hearing that. Oh that yeah, yeah, yeah that was for some time as well. Yeah, that's when they wanted to do like they wanted to make this big R-rated, big budget movie. But that was at a time when big budget R-rated movies was like, oh, we can't do that. That'll never yeah. make our money back. I mean, nowadays, right? it's a lot different, you know, because thanks to Deadpool, but you never know. Yeah, yeah. But so back in like the, the mid-2000s when they were looking to this, it was like, no, no, it has to be PG-13. Otherwise, no one will be able to see this film. And I think there's a few films that have suffered from that. I think the Metal Gear Solid movie has probably suffered from that as well. But, you know, it's going to be interesting to see that now because that's been done by uh, Jordan Voy Roberts. Who did yes, Skull love Island. that. Love that. And, when you see interviews with him talking about Metal Gear Solid, he is so passionate about this video game series, which, like, you think, oh, cool, he's so passionate about it. That should translate then into, hey, this should make a great film, in theory, if they can, if they can really get it off the ground. Yeah, yeah, but then again, who knows? Maybe the director of Street Fighter, The Legend of Chun-Li, had a good movie in mind, too. <laughs> then, oh, she's not Asian. Okay, well, wait, just the I... just just like the casting of that movie was just really, really strange. Like, I, like I forget the name, but like, the, like, but the person who was in, like, the Black Eyed Peas playing as Vega in that movie was just ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> you know that dude from American Pie who plays the cop? Uh, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like it, it almost seems like they're, if, if everything isn't in place, anything can go wrong. That seems to be the basis for a video game film. So it could have like all the hype in the world. But if all the pieces don't fall into place, fans will see it and the movie could suffer as a result. That, that seems to be sort of the mantra with a lot of these projects. Although, oh. go ahead. No, no, no. no. I was, I was going to say I, I completely agree. But I mean, I, I'll, I'll let you finish. 
Well, I was going to say, although there, there are, you know, times to be a movie so bad that it's good. Like I will watch the original street fighter, like nobody's business. And David will quote Raul Julia till, you know, he dies. Yeah. So, <laughs> and then of course, Super Mario brothers movie, perfect drinking film. So there you yeah. go. So <laughs> uh, the, the point I was going to make is, and you, you 100% completely right. Is that the, you, these films are kind of made with the, sometimes they're film made with the best intentions. We really want to please the fans. But, I mean, when I was talking with the producer of Max Payne, he was kind of arguing. And, you know, I, I can kind of see his argument here because you see it a lot that sometimes these films are just never going to please fans. Like, no matter what you do, you're just you're never going to please these people. So and I think that's why uh, it, it was almost like, you know, why bother? Why bother trying to, to please these people? Because you're, they're never going to be happy. And you kind of see it as soon as a film gets announced. It's just like, well, oh, that film's going to suck. Like, you know, Hollywood can't get anything right. They can't do this. They can't do that. It's going to be, it's going to suck. So I think sometimes there are those people who just have a negative outlook on a film before even a, you know, a single frame is shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like you, there are certain of these movies that I can very much enjoy. You know, Street Fighter. I love Street Fighter. Like, and I, I watch it now through very different eyes as I did when I was a kid. Mario Brothers is the exact same thing. Double mm-hmm. Dragon is another one. That oh, God. <laughs> With uh, Alyssa Milano and Vanna White in the same movie. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. I, I forgot that the, the Vanna White was in that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, man. And George Hamilton. Um, But I'll tell you, my guilty pleasure is Dead or Alive because that's Eric Roberts' greatest role. <laughs> oh, it's so... And, like, I, I mean, as a big wrestling fan, Kevin Nash is so much fun in that film. And, like, <laughs> that is a film... It's it's a bonkers movie. It but it's it is. genuinely very fun. <laughs> like, really See, they went straight with kung fu and hot women. That's all you need for a dead alive. They knew it wasn't going to make millions of dollars, so they we did the best route in terms of making it a good, you know, martial arts goofball movie. I mean, you don't really believe Eric Roberts can beat up everybody, be stay invincible, right? Come on. No, but he does have those glasses, though. Those glasses. He does have the glasses. True. <laughs> I, and, I I I also kind of like find it funny though that like Kevin Nash played as like the character in Dead or Alive who is very much a Hulk Hogan ripoff yeah. more or less. So I don't know why they didn't get Hulk Hogan to play that character, but you know, it's like the only gripe I have honestly of that whole. He thing. was doing. He was too busy doing Gremlins too. Is why. That that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but I also wanted to bring up something about video game related culture in movies, not necessarily based on actual games, but culture based films. We we talked about the Last Starfighter. We talked about Tron. We even talked a little bit about. Pixels, which I'm kind of on the fence about because I don't like Adam Sandler, but, you know, whatever. And you even brought this up, like how somebody said Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, was the best video game movie they've ever seen, even though it doesn't actually have an actual video game. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting how video game culture is getting adapted to better. And we're going to see, too, next month, Ready Player One, which has all these factors of of the video game world of 80s pop culture and everything. References galore, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Battletoads were in it, for God's sake. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. But <laughs> you it, got yeah, my I'm, ticket with that one. So. <laughs> um, now, I know they're not on the same level of video game movies, but what do you think about video game culture-based films and the impact they've made over the years? I, I think that might be the way forward, really, in terms of appealing to video game fans as being like, Ready Player One is a perfect example of that. You know, you, I mean, we joke that, hey, Battletoads are in it, you've got my ticket sold, but like, genuinely, I'm like, hey, man, I'm excited to see Battletoads up on the big screen. Yeah. And like, maybe that's. Teaming is up just... with Chucky. Teaming up with Chucky. Yeah. Exactly, right? <laughs> like, um, every time I watch that trailer, there's something new that I spot, and I'm like, oh my God, there it is. And like I'm, I'm a bit of a sucker for the book, even with all of its flaws. I really enjoyed it. 
um maybe i think that is kind of the best way to go like as a as a purist as i as i said to you in our, our text interview as a purist i'm like well it's not really based on a video game so i can't classify it as a video game movie mm. but at the same time like jumanji was a terrific movie and it was such a fun game ba- a, a movie based quote-unquote based on a video game like and i i i think that might be a bit of a way forward and it's kind of like it's people can go to that and just be more accepting of it as opposed to an ip like a tomb raider or a rampage or a metal gear Solid or a halo or something like that where or even like you know the, there's a chapter in the book about the live action pac-man movie that nearly got made and you're like okay that's right a, yeah <laughs> a live action a live action pac-man movie as soon as you hear that you're like what what is this yeah. what is that, that's sort of i'm nervous about the sonic the hedgehog movie because it's part cgi part live mm. are they are you gonna get brendan fraser in it or something just wondering <laughs> was there a um a like tetris movie also being made or something there is yeah, yeah. yeah. of movies no less um and that was that's actually being produced by the guy who produced mortal kombat um lawrence kasnoff right yeah. um and at the end of our interview i asked him I was just curious. I was like, hey, you're doing the, the Tetris movie, aren't you? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And got very passionate, very excited about it. And I was like, oh, is there anything you can tell me about it? Because I've got this chapter at the end of the book where I'm kind of like doing the, the, the previews of movies that are coming up. And he went on this like philosophical like tirade about like, what is Tetris? You know, what is it about <laughs> in this game that it's played by billions of people around the world? And we worked it out. It's creating order out of chaos. And I'm sitting there going like, no, mate, it's Tetris. You put the blocks down, the lines disappear. Like, that's what Tetris is. <laughs> I mean, there, there is actually a song, and I'll, I'll probably have the song actually playing at the end of this episode, actually, then, you know, now that it comes to mind. But uh, there, there is a song. Um, I forget the name of the artist exactly. It has, it has the, 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 the word pigs in it. Uh, but it gets into, like, the story of, like, uh, Russian oligarchy and, like, with, like, the strife of the Russian people uh, as they kind of, like, deal with, like, the... Uh, kind of the rise and fall of communism, more or less, but all told through Tetris and with the Tetris music playing and everything. Uh, it's it's a great song and everything. So I'll, I'll have a play at the end of the episode and uh, like you know the kind of you know the kind of, uh, the, the pinpoint of that. So I'm, yeah. I'm still trying to figure out how they can make Tetris into a trilogy. Like what is it? Like the the long piece falls for the square piece, and all of a sudden, oh, let's just drop this in the middle here. Oh, I'm between the two of you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and. I, I, I do I do have to kind of double up too actually on on the whole um you know, having having gaming culture like in, in movies kind of being the way forward. Now I would certainly agree with that actually just for two examples alone that I'm surprised we haven't mentioned yet is uh, Scott Pilgrim and Wreck It Ralph. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, also yeah. inspired totally. Yeah. I mean th- yeah, yeah. those are two of the better examples. I mean Scott Pilgrim got robbed of its box office. Seriously. Oh, yeah. I mean yeah. this is a movie that was heavily overlooked, but it's just incredible when it comes to capturing the nature of a video game while at the same time I, I swear to god thomas jane is better in this movie than he is in the punisher fight me <laughs> <laughs> but still um it just amazes me like between that and record i mean record ralph was huge and it's getting a sequel later this year but uh it's just amazing how record ralph was able to grasp all this video it, they threw in even a metal gear solid reference yes. to a disney movie <laughs> yes. yes that that movie has a konami code joke like that's one yeah. of its big punchlines is like, oh, by the way, the secret password is the Konami code. And I remember <laughs> going, I went to a press screening of Wreck-It Ralph and I thoroughly enjoyed it. But I was in a, I was in a big theater and there were a lot of kids in there as well. And I suddenly thought to myself, huh, there's a lot of jokes in here that are very much for me as a 30 year old that I'm not sure these eight year olds are really picking up on. 
Yeah, but that, that honestly, that that's kind of the beauty of that movie in particular, like yeah. because it, it does appeal to you know to us, like just kind of like you know the retro gamers and people who kind of get those references. But it's also a kids movie, and so kids are going are, are going to like it because it's big, colorful characters doing like kind of big dumb things or just being like yeah, funny yeah, or whatever it might be. Um, I, I, was, I was kind of curious, like you know, there too, Luca, like as far as like what you think uh you know makes for a good video game movie like if 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 you know someone was going to make a video game movie based on whatever franchise that you want to use as as an example uh how how do you think it should be done i would always go the route the the Lawrence Kasnov did with Mortal Kombat and it's why I kind of like hold up Mortal Kombat in such it's you know it's not a perfect movie it's not a five-star classic but it's a hell of a lot of fun and it's very close to it, its video game um compatriot and that was because Kasnov worked with the people behind the game he was like hit uh, you know they worked together on, on developing these characters and so much so that when midway uh sold themselves to warner brothers kasanoff sued being like hey i created these characters like he genuinely believes that he created the characters in mortal kombat because he made the movie and mm. the, the you know the, the characters in the movies are, are very much entwined and so he and and because they worked together and he was invested in it and he had this plan to do a stage show and an album and, you know, more combat on ice. Like he wanted to do <laughs> all of this stuff, a cartoon TV series. So he was heavily invested in making this work. When it doesn't work is when a studio just buys an intellectual property because it's popular and then just hires a writer to say, hey, we've got this, we've got this property. Here's a Nintendo. Here's a copy of a game. Go play it for half an hour and then write a, you know, a, a $50 million uh, movie on it so we can just throw it out into cinema and, and get people to come in as a cash grab. That's when it doesn't work because the writer doesn't care. The studio doesn't care. They then bring in a director who probably doesn't care. Uh, Paul Anderson um he said that he was always surprised when he spoke to people who made video game movies who never played the game. And he was like, which he found baffling. He's like, if you're going to make a movie about a book, you'd read the book. Right. Yeah. Like, why, Depends. So why Some people don't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could argue that Zack Snyder didn't read Watchmen. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. like, it, it's, you know, it's, it's the same principle. It was like, he's like, why wouldn't you, you play the game? And he's always, you know, he maintains that everything that he did in the resident evil movie series for better or worse came from his love of the games and his experiences of playing the games and what he took from the games to put up onto the big screen some people liked it a lot of people didn't but you know it's it, you can can't argue that his passion for the series is evident on screen so i think that that's really the way forward is it's might find those people that have the right passion for it mm-hmm. as opposed to just like hey you know here's a here's a title write me a script I mean, that's, you know that's, that's, that, I mean, that, that's how you have, like, the success, honestly, like, with, like, the superhero movies as well, because, uh, you know, you, you are attaching people who do love those characters in order to kind of make those movies, and so it shows, like, when you actually have a quality film uh, on mm-hmm. there that's based on those characters. Yeah, and, and I think what it is also is you want to make sure the right people are involved. Like I said, you know, you want to make sure all the pieces come to place. That's why I can't help but think Nintendo is really, really optimistic about it's Super Mario Brothers movie that's being made with Illumination, the, the guys that did uh, Despicable Me and Minions. They're they're taking their time to establish a story. If it doesn't work, they're walking away. But I mean, Shigeru Miyamoto's on board as a producer. They're talking. They're they're getting everything down. I would love to see something that has kind of like the jokes like Wreck It Ralph, but also pays close attention to the Mario universe. It, it would kind of bring the idea of video game movies full circle because you know Super Mario Brothers kind of kicked off this whole thing in '93 with. Video video games come into film and everything mm-hmm. and 
becoming a big cluster, but whatever, <laughs> you know. But I mean, I can't help but think if Super Mario hits the right chord, Nintendo would be open to more ideas. Like this reported Legend of Zelda Netflix series, I've heard so much about that's not happening, obviously. But yeah, you know, a Metroid film, just you know, like if we can show like the right people would be devoted to making these great films that's when it'll really open up and we'll start to see more people actually give a damn instead of releasing something like war crap. And yes, I call it war crap because <laughs> <laughs> it was crap. But I'm just saying by having the right elements and the people that care and the right approach, you know, it'll build. I mean, Marvel studios was built in a day. It started with one movie and then they started to build out. They, they stumbled along the way, but eventually they found their following. And by the time Marvel's the Avengers came out in 2012, boom, everything was taken off. Now DC, that's a whole different Screen. Mm. I don't yeah. like. Them, yeah, we we we've been seeing like more uh, more like fan films kind of come out too. Like you know, as you mentioned there, like with um with like Metroid there there Robert. Like there was a fan film with um uh, I forget like who it was exactly. It might have been like Olivia Munn or someone like that. I forget someone exactly. Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like who who you know played as Samus. And it was just kind of like a short film, basically. S- same thing too, actually, with like a Portal film. Like there was a Portal film that was really really well done. Uh, that I believe is like uh, you know up on YouTube actually. Just, you know, so yeah. if you like search like Portal fan film, you'll find it. But uh, you, you, we we've been kind of seeing this uh, kind of you know kind of come from uh, like people who do have like passion for for these properties, uh, but you know don't have like these big studio backings like, you know behind them, and you know, they still turn out like really well just because like the technology is there for people to make movies like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it, it happened actually with the uh, Mortal Kombat uh, when they were looking to do the, the reboot of it. Um, That's right, I, I, yeah. The butcher's name, is it Justin? Uh, I can't remember his name now, but he directed that kind of like short, that this sort of Mortal Kombat short was like, I'm going to set this in the real world. It's going to be like this sort of cop drama with these crazy villains and stuff. And he, uh, well, I'm going to use big air quotes here, accidentally leaked it online. Yeah. Um, and and he you know he got a job off the back of that he was doing music videos and like you know, these you know music music uh, movies before that um wait yeah. do you mean uh, kevin tancherowen that's yes that's the one thank yeah, you yeah yeah because his take on mortal kombat was brutal that's kind of why it worked because it got really well done brutal nature. Yeah, yeah yeah and we had mortal kombat legacy one and two and i was really surprised how much i enjoyed a mortal kombat film with casper van dien in it <laughs> i thought he was gonna throw it off but he was actually pretty good so i was like okay sure yeah, and it's the guys who are doing um, uh, Christian Howard uh, doing the, um, uh, the the Street Fighter shorts. So he did like the the Street Fighter um, was it Street Fighter Legacy that he did with it was just Ryu Ken uh, training out in Japan, and now right. they're working on doing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now they're working on doing Street Fighter World Warrior. Well, they're now like in with Capcom because they did the series to kind of promote Street Fighter Five, um, and they you know they're working on doing the World Warrior as their next series. But they are people, when I, when I spoke to Christian for the book, the sort of people that would be like, you know, given the opportunity, maybe they would be given a big budget film to, to you know, show what they could really do. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it does help to have the, the right person on board, but it also helps that they're they're motivated and driven. I can't help yeah. but wonder what Chris Roberts was going through when he was making the Wing Commander movie. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I felt so bad for Chris because I, when I, I spoke with Chris for the, for the book and like – I, I was really excited about that chapter because that's a fascinating one. That's a guy who created this series mm-hmm. and he's doing the, the film of it. And man, he just got screwed over. Like at yeah. every time, just got screwed over by his producer who was a quite an interesting cat to talk to. Um, 
but like yeah I just, I just think at every turn every it just went wrong for him he was he shouldn't have directed it really you know mm-hmm. it, you can't just take someone who's never direct who's directed a video game but directing a movie is a very different thing mm-hmm. and he was just thrown into that you know of his own accord but that was my favorite thing about that really was that and when I spoke to the producer, he was very adamant about this. He was just like, sci-fi doesn't sell. Like, people just aren't interested in sci-fi. And I'm like, mm, Star Wars? Like, I mean, I'm not sure Star Wars. <laughs> it, it depends on the sci-fi. Like, for instance, it's funny you bring that up because I I, I bring I think I've Hironobu Sakaguchi and Final Fantasy, Fantasy The Spirits Within. Mm-hmm. Fantastic-looking movie. Like, some of the best effects in the world, but they got an American screenwriter, and they went completely away from the lore of what Final Fantasy was about. And I think that's what threw off the hardcore fans and like sci-fi but like you said sci-fi does the sell with certain people if there's not much of an interest there i mean the 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 spirits within really was was a final fantasy uh like thing by name only really because otherwise it had nothing to do with final fantasy as far as like any sort of themes or any sort of characters from from existing games or anything at all really it was just but that was a bizarre project honestly (laughs) but that's again that's like we've got this ip like just you know write me a movie (laughs) exactly let's get this done but with um it when i spoke the producer of wing commander my favorite things he said to me was i asked him you know i was like hey you know the wing commander series already had established actors in these roles like mark hamill like is in the in the these movies like why wasn't he transferred and he was like malcolm McDowell, McDowell." and he was like no one cares about mark hamill like who cares about (sighs) mark hamill being in a a space movie and i'm like i think there'd be quite a few people who'd be very interested to see mark hamill in a space come here let me introduce you to something called star wars buddy right right (laughs) yeah uh, uh, but uh, yeah, so the, the, there's like a lot of like awesome like you know awesome like movies and uh, you know just, like stories and everything that, you know to share. And this is all like from you know from your book here, Luke. Uh, so I, I figure we, you know we may as well kind of like promote it here as well. So we will have like the uh, the you know the link for uh, for people to go check it out uh, on Amazon. It'll be like an Amazon link basically for people to go uh, to go buy your book and everything. Again, that's called Lights, Camera, Game Over: How Video Game Movies Get Made. And uh, yeah, so you know we we, we only kind of like scratch the surface really like in the, in this uh, in this arc oh, yeah. in this arc yeah, mini episode. The book is filled a ton of. of stories and everything there there is really a fascinating amount of content here that talks about video game movies i i highly recommend the book it is really good absolutely oh, thank you very much mm-hmm. yeah i do want in on one high note i mean because we talked about a lot of different things here and everything like that but if you had to pick what and this is for everybody if you had to pick one quintessential video game movie say to this point what would you say is your favorite i'm, I'm probably going to guess yours is is mortal Kombat, luke <laughs> Yeah, I think I would, I'd definitely say Mortal Kombat, but I mean, as, as a, I will always get a bat for, for Mario Brothers. I'll, I'll always get a bat <laughs> for that film just because I, I could talk about that film for hours and just like, just like every single scene. There's like, I could, I could just do a minute by minute breakdown of that movie and find something to talk about. <laughs> like how the bomb has Reeboks. Okay, sure. Oh, right. Like, come on. Come, like, there's so much in there. Like how the, the film didn't have an ending, so they just made one up. Like, there's so much to talk about. <laughs> we just sit around and we'll talk about the movie sometime. That we'll For watch sure. it. We'll just live stream it. David, do you have a pick? And it's, if you say Street Fighter because of all Julia. Well, <laughs> I, I, I do like Street Fighter for just like it's corny nature and uh you oh, know I, I, you know again for like raw julia and everything i, I just think raw julia you know, with that being his final role too of all things uh, oh, yeah it, it's just amazing and i'll also like i remember um uh, like just kind of like quick, quick little story uh, i remember like watching like my local news like 
with them interviewing Raul Julia, basically asking him, why are you doing a Street Fighter movie? And the whole reason was because uh, he, was, he, was, he was given the offer, basically, to play as Bison and everything. And he was, like, on the fence. He's like, oh, I'm not sure if I should do that. And then, like, his, uh, his kids were playing Street Fighter, and they're like, you're doing a Street Fighter movie? You have to do it. So, like, basically, his kids just egged him on to basically do it. It's like, all right, I'll do it for my kids, I guess. And then he, <laughs> that ends up being, like, his last movie. It's crazy. I guess you didn't see that coming. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you... But, like, if, if we're, if we're going to, like, say, like, favorite movie, um, like, are we counting, like, like all video game related movies or just the ones based on the IPs? This one based on the IPs. I mean, if we're going to talk about video game culture movies, I'm going to favor between Tron and last Starfighter, honestly, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, I guess I'll go, we'll, um, I'll go with street fighter. Then that case is for, for, for the, for the kitschy nature of it. Uh, sure. You know what? I, I was going to say street fighter, but you took it from me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say I lean a little bit between Mortal Kombat and Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive <laughs> is incredibly cheesy, but it's directed by – I forgot who directed it, but he did a lot of different martial arts films, and he does a great job with it. And the cast is kind of fun and everything like that. But then Mortal Kombat is really well done, even though the reptile visual effects look like shit now. <laughs> it, it, it's it's still an amazing well, film and a lot of fun, and yeah, I had a good time well. Especially to compare to Annihilation. Like, where was Kazanoff when that happened? <laughs> what, oh, man. Speaking of Kazanoff about that movie, so interesting. And he, he just was very upfront about it. He was like, nope, we made some errors with that film. Like, oh, was, yeah. yeah, and you know, he, he fully admits the film is unfinished. It was released in an unfinished state. It was meant to go through much more uh, like post-production. But New Line said, hey, it looks finished to us. We're releasing it. Yeah. Um so so Luke, where where can people go like to find uh, you know to find you like online, like either like you know social media or websites or whatever? Uh yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at this is Luke Owen. And uh, if you are a fan of wrestling, uh, I present uh for Wrestle Talk, which is a uh, YouTube channel. Uh we do wrestling news and reviews and, and things like that and podcasts. Um but yeah, you can find me there and I also write for a uh, movie blog called Flickering Myth, but Twitter is the best place to get in touch with me. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Good. I was wondering why you were like in my get these hands references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, so, yeah. And then, you know, if, if you want to follow the, you know, the ArgCast on Twitter, we are at ArgPodcast. Same thing for Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash ArgPodcast. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's at The Guilty Man. Well, follow me on Twitter. It's at Twitter.com slash The DCD. You can also see my full interview with Luke over at ComicBook.com slash Gaming if you want to learn more about the book. Indeed, indeed, and uh, if you want to send us any like uh, any like questions, any like uh, suggestions, any like retro games you want us to cover, or anything at all, really, you could email us at rcast at retrozap.com, and be sure to check out retrozap.com for all sorts of other amazing podcasts, especially of the Star Wars variety. There is Bruise and Blasters, Kanata's Castles, Starship Sabers and Scoundrels, Skywalking Through Neverland. Uh, there's also Beltway Bontas, which is really cool because it combines both Star Wars and politics. So if you're of both minds, it's definitely the podcast for you. There's also the Animaniacs. So if you're a big Animaniacs fan, it's definitely podcast for you and they're also rob paulson approved there's also the deuce cast movie show so if you haven't had your movie fixed yet after like after listening to this episode uh you'll definitely want to listen to the deuce cast because they cover stuff uh like basically all movie history pretty much they've been doing it for over 300 episodes now so they definitely know what they're doing over there and uh there's also the techno retro dads so if you love old school stuff and of course you do because you listen to the rcast you love the techno retro dads because they cover stuff in the 70s 80s and 90s not only just video games but also toys commercials things like that and yeah there's also us with our cast so be sure to uh, find us on itunes give us five stars subscribe and tell your neighbors 
We're also on Stitcher and also Google Play Music. So there's absolutely no reason to not listen to the Arcast. And yeah, that's Arcast uh, Mini Episode 9, I believe, in the books. Until next time, keep it retro. Game over! <laughs> I can't do it. This is why I'm not in <laughs> Game over! To you, this was the greatest day of your life, but to me, it was a Wednesday. <laughs> it was a Wednesday, yeah, in this case, for sure. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Luke, and thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you next episode. Thank you, guys. Catch you later. I am the man who arranges the blocks that continue to fall from up above. The food on your plate now belongs to the state, a collective regime of peace and love. I have no choice in arranging the blocks under Bolshevik rule. What they say goes. The rule of the game is we all are the same, and my blocks must create unbroken rows. Long live Stalin. The blocks that are made by the men in Kazakhstan They come two weeks late and they don't tessellate But we're working to Stalin's five-year plan I am the man who arranges the tanks That will make all the Nazis keep away The Fuhrer is dead and Europe is red Let us point all our guns at the USA We shall live Hey, this is Adam. This is Mike. And this is David. From Super Best Friends Video Game Sleepover. We make a fortnightly video game podcast. Fortnite means every two weeks. Covering gaming news, game reviews. I give it five out of five tacos. And whatever crazy audience tweets come in. And sometimes celebrities like Arnold even stop by to sing karaoke. Oh, we, oh, I love just like Bozzy Each episode we feature one burning topic, game dev interview, or super guest friend from the world of gaming. Check us out on the HP Video Game Podcast Network or on sbfvgs.com. I don't care about that. Wow.